0: Chapter Three of Six Feet Four by Jackson Gregory. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three Buck Thornton Man's Man. Those who had rushed into the outer darkness in the wake of the highwayman returned presently. Mere impulse and swift natural reaction from their former enforced inactivity, rather than any hope of success, had sent them hot-foot on the pursuit the noisy windy night the absolute dark obviated all possibility of coming up with them grumbling and theorizing they returned to the room and closed the door behind them now that the tense moment of the actual robbery had passed there was a general buzzing talk voices lifted in surmise a lively excitement replacing the cozy quiet of a few moments ago voices from the spare bedroom urged ma drury to bring an account of the adventure and poke's wife having first escorted the wounded man to her own bed and donned a wrapper and shoes and stockings gave to lou yates's womenfolk as circumstantial a description of the whole affair as though she herself had witnessed it after a while a man here and there began to eat taking a slab of bread and meat in one hand and a cup of black coffee in the other walking back and forth and talking thickly the girl at the fireplace sat stiff and still staring at the flames she had lost her appetite had quite forgotten it in fact at first from under the hand shading her eyes she watched the men going for one drink after another, the strong drink of the frontier. But after a little, as though this had been a novel sight in the beginning, but soon lost interest for her, she let her look droop to the fire. Fresh, dry fuel had been piled on the backlog, and at last a grateful sense of warmth and sleepiness pervaded her being, she no longer felt hunger. She was too tired. Her eyelids had grown too heavy for her to harbor the thought of food. She settled forward in her chair and nodded. The talk of the men, though as they ate and drank, their voices were lifted, grew fainter and fainter in her ears, further and further away. Finally, they were blended in an indistinguishable murmur that meant nothing in a doze she caught herself wondering if the wounded man in the next room would live it was terribly still in there she was in that mental and physical condition when the body tired and the brain betwixt dozing and waking thought becomes a feverish process the mind snatching vivid pictures from the day's experience and weaving them into as illogical a pattern as that of the crazy quilt over her shoulders all day long she had ridden in the swaying lurching jerking stage until now in her chair as she slipped a little forward she experienced the sensations of the day Many a time that day, as the racing horses obeying the experienced hand of the driver swept around a sharp turn in the road, she had looked down a sheer cliff that had made her flesh quiver, so that it had been hard not to draw back and cry out. She had seen the horses leaping forward, scamper like mad runaways down a long slope, dashing through the spray of a rising creek, to take the uphill climb on the run, and tonight she had seen a masked man shoot down one of her day's companions and loot the United States mail, and in a register somewhere she had written down the name of Hill's Corners, the place men called Dead Man's Alley. She had never heard the name until today. Tomorrow she would ask the exact significance of it, at last she was sound asleep. She had found comfort by twisting sideways in her chair and resting her shoulder against the warm rock masonry of the outer edge of the fireplace. She awoke with a start. What had recalled her to consciousness she did not know. Perhaps a new voice in her ears, perhaps Poke Drury's tones become suddenly shrill or it may be that just a sudden sinking and falling away into utter silence of all voices the growing still of hands upon dice cups all eloquent of a new breathless atmosphere in the room had succeeded in impressing upon her sleep-drugged brain the fact of still another vital electrically charged moment she turned in her chair then she settled back wondering the door was open. The wind was sweeping in. Again old newspapers went flying wildly, as though in panicky fear. The men in the room were staring, even as she stared, in bewilderment. She heard old man Adams's tongue clicking in his toothless old mouth. She saw Hap Smith, his expression one of pure amazement, standing half-crouching as though to spring his hands like claws at his sides and all of this because of the man who stood in the open doorway looking in the man who had shot bert stone who had looted a mail bag had returned that was her instant thought and clearly enough it was the thought shared by all of pope drury's guests to be sure he carried no visible gun and his face was unhidden but there was the hugeness of him bulking big in the doorway the spare sinewy height made the taller by his tall boot heels the wide black hat with the drooping brim from which raindrops trickled in a quick flashing chain the shaggy black shaps of a cowboy in holiday attire the soft gray shirt the gray neck-handkerchief about a brown throat, even the end of a faded bandana trailing from a hip pocket. He stood stone-still a moment, looking in at them with that queer expression in his eyes. Then he stepped forward swiftly and closed the door. He had glanced sharply at the girl by the fire. She had shaded her eyes with her hand the shadow of which lay across her face he turned again from her to the men his regard chiefly for hap smith well he said lightly being the first to break the silence what's wrong there are moments in which it seems as if time itself stood still during the spell-bound fragment of time a girl looking out from under a cupped hand noted a man and marvelled at him by his sheer physical bigness first he fascinated her he was like the night and the storm itself big powerful not the kind born to know and suffer restraint but rather the type of man to dwell in such lands as stretched mile after unfenced mile out yonder beyond the mountains as he moved he gave forth a vital impression of immense animal power standing still he was dynamic a sculptor might have carved him in stone and named the result masculinity the brief moment in which souls balanced and muscles were chained passed swiftly strangely enough it was old man adams who precipitated action the old man was nervous more than that, bred here, he was fearless. Also, fortune had given him a place of vantage. His body was half-screened by that of Hap Smith and by a corner of the bar. His eager old hand snatched out Hap Smith's dragging revolver, leveled it, and steadied it across the bar, the muzzle seeking the young giant who had come a step forward. Hands up! clacked the old man in tremulous triumph i got you dab burn you and at the same instant hap smith cried out wonderingly buck thornton you the big man stood very still only his head turning quickly so that his eyes were upon the feverish eyes of old man adams yes he returned coolly i'm thornton and "'Got me, have you?' he added, just as coolly. Winifred Waverly stiffened in her chair. Already tonight she had heard gunshots and smelled powder and seen spurting red blood. A little surge of sick horror brought its tinge of vertigo, and left her clear thoughted and afraid. "'Hands up, I say,' repeated the old man sharply. "'I got you.' you go to hell returned thornton and his coolness had grown into curt insolence i never saw the man yet that i'm going to do that for he came on two more quick long strides thrust his face forward and cried in a voice that rang out commandingly above the crash of the wind drop that gun drop it old man adams had no intention of obeying he had played poker himself for some fifty-odd years and knew what bluff meant but for just one brief instant he was taken aback fairly shocked into a fluttering indecision by the thunderous voice then before he could recover himself the big man had flung a heavy wet coat into adams's face a gun had been fired wildly the bullet ripping into the ceiling and Buck Thornton had sprung forward and whipped the smoking weapon from an uncertain grasp. Winifred Waverly, without breathing and without stirring, saw Buck Thornton's strong white teeth and a wide, good-humored smile. "'I know you were just joking, but—' He whirled and fired, never lifting the gun from his side and a man across the room from him cried out and dropped his own gun and grasped his shoulder with a hand which slowly went red now again she saw buck thornton's teeth but no longer in a smile he had seemed to condone the act of old adams as a bit of senility the look in his eyes was one of blazing rage as this other man drew back and back from him muttering i'd have to kill you then said thornton coldly his rage the cold wrath that begets murder in men's souls but i shot just a shade too quick try it again or any other man here draw and by god i'll show you a dead man in ten seconds he drew back and put the bar just behind him then with a sudden gesture he flung down the revolver which had come from hap smith's holster and more recently from old man adam's fingers and his hand flashed to his armpit and back into plain sight his own weapon in it i don't savvy your game sports he said with the same cool insolence but if you want me to play just go ahead and deal me a hand to the last man of them they looked at him and hesitated it was written in large bold script upon the faces of them that the girls thought was their thought and yet though there were upwards a dozen of them and though Pope drury's firelight flickered on several gun barrels and though there were men who were not cowards and who did not lack initiative to the last man of them they hesitated as his glance sped here and there it seemed to stab at them like a knife blade he challenged them and stood quietly waiting for the first move and the girl by the fire knew almost from the first that no hostile move was forthcoming and she knew further that had a man there lifted his hand buck thornton's promise would have been kept and he'd show them a dead man in ten seconds suppose said thornton suddenly you explain poke drury this being your shack what's the play drury moistened his lips but it was hap smith who spoke up i've knowed you some time buck he said bluntly "and i never knowed you to go wrong but well not an hour ago a man your build and size AND WITH A BANDANA ACROSS HIS FACE, STUCK THIS PLACE UP. "'Well?' said Thornton coolly. "'At first, went on the stage driver heavily and a bit defiantly, "'we thought it was him come back when you come in.' His eye met Thornton's in a long, unwavering look. "'We ain't certain yet,' he ended briefly. Thornton pondered the matter, his thumb softly caressing the hammer of his revolver. "'So that's it, is it?' he said finally. "'That's it,' returned Hap Smith. "'And what have you decided to do in the matter?' Smith shrugged. "'We acted like a pack of kids,' he said, "'lettin' you get the drop on us like this.' oh you're twice as quick on the draw as the best two of us and we know it and-and we ain't dead sure as we ain't made a mistake his candidly honest face was troubled he was not sure that thornton was the same man who so short a time ago had shot bert stone it did not seem reasonable to hap smith that a man having successfully made his play would return just to court trouble. "'If you're on the square, Buck,' he said in a moment, "'throw down your gun and let's see the linin' of your pockets.' "'Yes,' retorted Thornton. "'What else, Mr. Smith?' "'Let us take a squint at that bandana trailin' out in your back pocket,' said Smith crisply. "'If it ain't got deep holes cut in it.' now that was stupid thought winifred nothing could be more stupid in fact if this man had committed the crime and had thus voluntarily returned to the roadhouse he would be prepared he would have emptied his pockets he certainly would have had enough brains to dispose of so tell-tale a bit of evidence as a handkerchief with slits let into it maybe said thornton quietly and she did not detect the contemptuous insolence under the slow words until he had nearly completed his meaning you'd like to have me tell you where i'm riding from and why and maybe you'd like to have me take off my shoes so you can look in them for your lost treasures now was his contempt unhidden he strode quickly across the room coming to the fireplace where the girl sat he took the handkerchief from his pocket, keeping it rolled up in his hand. Stooping forward, he dropped it into the fire, well behind the back log. Then for the first time he saw her face plainly. As she had come close to her, she had slipped from her chair and stood now, her face lifted, looking at him. His gaze was arrested as his eyes met hers he stood very still plainly showing the surprise which he made no slightest effort to disguise she flushed bit her lip went a fiery red he put up his hand and removed his hat i didn't expect he said still looking at her with that intent openly admiring acknowledgment of her beauty to see a girl like you here the thing which struck her was that still there were men in the room who were armed and distrustful of him and that he had forgotten them what she could not gauge was the full of the effect she had had upon him he had marked a female for him at the fireside shawled by a shapeless patchwork quilt out of it magically it seemed to his startled fancies there had stepped a superb creature with eyes on fire with her youth a superlatively lovely creature essentially feminine from the flash of her eyes to the curl of her hair she was all girl and to buck thornton man's man of the wide open country beyond the mountains who had set his eyes upon no woman for a half year who had looked on no woman of her obvious class and type for two years, who had seen the woman of one-half her physical loveliness and tugging charm never, the effect was instant and tremendous. A little shiver went through him. His eyes caught fire. End of chapter 3